KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. My job is to get them to that game, give them a game plan that puts them in a position that they can win. And then at that point, it's on them to get it done. It's fun watching kids go through that journey, and then hopefully your season ends in tears, whether it's sorrow because you lost in the championship or tears of joy because you won. And our guest this week is Westchester men's basketball coach Damian Blair, one of the top coaches in Division Two. And first of all, Coach, thanks for taking the time. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. So what have the last few months been like for you since uh, everything in the world went sideways? It's been really, really crazy. <laughs> I mean, obviously we, we can't get on campus and uh, we have very little interaction with, uh, with our players. So, uh, you know, I've been stuck in between these four walls. A lot of my honey to-do lists for my wife and uh, just try to plan for next year. And, uh, and just try to prepare our kids for whatever may be coming down the pipe. And you mentioned limited, I guess, the occasional Zoom call with the, the players. Are you even able to do that? Or are you, what, how are you able to kind of keep in touch with them, keep, keep tabs on them? Well, when they were in session, when they were in the spring session, what we did was we, we tried to touch base with them you know, every other day via phone. And then we did Zoom calls you know, twice a week. And we just want to make sure that everybody was on track and they were having no issues with the new remote learning style of academic support. And uh, so, you know, those conversations with uh, with the kids were good. And then once uh, the spring semester was over, we tried to have a Zoom call maybe every two or three weeks just to uh, catch up and see how everybody was doing. And as my, what are the conversations with the kids been like? I mean, this is a lot for us you know, as adults, but, you know, kids in the middle of the, the college experience who, you know, everything's just kind of gone off the off the map here. What are the conversations like with the kids? Uh, to be honest with you, they've been all over the place. I mean, some kids like the time off uh, where they can kind of uh, unwind a little bit and, and, and recharge the batteries. Other kids were just absolutely going nuts um, and were dying just to get out and play some basketball, to see other people. Um, so we had the full gamut of, I don't mind being at home and I can't stand being at home. And you know, for us uh, early on, we were just trying to make sure that the kids had a routine. Um, they were doing things uh, throughout the course of the day that they enjoyed, but also that, that that would be productive. So they were getting things done. Um, they tried to put some workouts together so they can continue to get better from the basketball side of things. Um, and then academically, we just wanted to make sure um, that they were staying in contact with the professors so there wouldn't be any drop off and there wouldn't be any issues with their grades and, and eligibility. Um, and they all did a phenomenal job at the end of the at the end of the semester. I think the team GP was like a uh, three point two. I think we may have four guys that had like a four zero. Some guys, uh, like I said, some guys really benefited from uh, the extra time at home and, and the Zoom calls and, and the remote learning and others kind of struggled. With so let's talk a little bit about your career. Let's start basically at the beginning. What's the first basketball memory you have? The first basketball memory I ever had, I remember being in my living room and uh, I was trying to imitate Maurice Cheeks, 
and I had a soccer ball that I was dribbling around the house, and my mom was screaming at me, telling me to stop dribbling the bass. I mean, the soccer ball, and I, I wind up breaking a vase, um, and I was on. She put me on punishment for like a week. <laughs> so that was that was my very first um, experience with the game of basketball, and I was I fell in love with Maurice Cheek's game and wanted to be like him and. Um, it's funny because when I tried out for the Sixers, he was coaching there at the time. So it was like a, it was like a, a dream come true to, to see him, have him coach me as an assistant as we were going through those workouts. And then it just brought back a lot of memories of me dribbling that soccer ball and getting yelled at by my mom. Was basketball the, the one track as a youth sport-wise, or were you kind of playing whatever was in season? I actually loved baseball. My father loved baseball and that's how I got into the game of baseball but my mom hated it she hated being outside the bugs bothering her so I had to literally get on the bus by myself with my glove my bat on my ball and you know and the bus ride was maybe about 15 or 20 minutes and uh there's she never came to a game so uh so basketball she never missed a game because it was indoors air conditioned you know heated she never had any issues, but um, yeah, I, I I played baseball, basketball, and I enjoyed playing, you know, football. Uh, but when I got to high school, I just played uh, basketball the my first year and baseball, and then um, my sophomore year, I just played basketball. When did you start to realize, basketball wise, that you were kind of a ahead of the pack, that you were getting picked first, you were getting a little more attention maybe than than other other kids your age or in your group. Uh, is there a moment that kind of crystallized it for you? I remember trying out for St. Teresa's CYO basketball team. And, and I remember the coaches talking about how fast I was and how they had to have the ball in my hands. And I think at that point, as a sixth grader, I was playing with older kids and, you know, and, and having, you know, uh, a lot of success. And then the following year, my jump shot got better and I was getting some recognition in the area. Uh, and then my eighth grade year, I wind up making it to the um, all CYO all-star team. And they, they played that game down at the spectrum. I think at that point, I realized that this is something that I can continue to do and possibly go to college. Um, but yeah, I think uh, elementary schools when, when I realized that. And you went to the Haverford School for high school, am I correct? Yes, I did. So when you start playing in high school, colleges start taking looks at you. Uh, you end up going to Westchester. Why Westchester? Are there Were there other schools that were in the, the running that were close? Well, in my eighth grade year, uh, I, I was with a friend – Riding, riding a bicycle in the rain, and I wind up falling and injuring my knee. And I had to have ACL uh, surgery. My growth plates were still open, so they did not want to do the reconstructive surgery. Dr. Moyer, who was a Sixers doctor at the time, actually did the surgery. And when I got to the Harvard School, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to play that first year. And, you know, with having that big knee brace on my knee, um, you know, it, it definitely hindered my ability to do some things early on, but I got a lot better my junior and senior year. And I had some schools looking at me, but I think a lot of Division One schools 
were not interested because they were afraid that, you know, I would get there and wouldn't be able to participate or play at the level that you need to play at because I still have problems with my knee. Uh, and that wasn't the case. So I had Penn and Dartmouth and I had some other low ones that were that were interested in Drexel and all those schools came out to see me. Um, the one school that was involved with late was Lafayette and Lafayette was choosing between me and another kid. They took the other kid and then I was left with nothing. So I was looking at division three schools and then by the, then, um, a guy by the name of Ed Rush, uh, NBA referee for a number of years. His son went to the Hadford school. We were good friends. Uh, and Ed and Dick Delaney were, uh, were really, really tight. And Ed was like, look, I got to talk to Coach Delaney. I'm come down and take a look at you. Uh, we may be able to get you to go to Westchester. And Coach Delaney came down to see me play against Malvern. I think I had like 38 against Ivan. Um, and Ivan was at Mal- uh, played at Malvern. I think he wound up going to Lehigh. But uh, went up for a visit, and then the rest is history. So when you get to college, basketball-wise, does it feel right? right away like I, a lot of people talk about speed of the game when they go from high school to college was there an adjustment period or were you pretty comfortable right away that I can do this I belong here no question it was a huge adjustment there was an assistant there at the time by the name of Bernie Driscoll he's now the head coach at Kutztown and I, I remember my first two weeks of practice Bernie was on me I mean he was yelling and and you you got to play harder. You got to do this. You got to do that. And then there was a kid that played in front of you by the name of Todd Neff, who was a 1,500-point scorer, probably one of the best shooters that I've ever played with. Uh, and competing against him in every day was really tough and to guard him and prevent him from getting easy shots. I mean, it was, it was, it was a daunting task, to say the least. Uh, but I'll never forget going into my dorm room and just taking a brace and throwing it up against the wall and almost coming to tears saying, you know what, I'm just going to play. I'm going to play as hard as I can. I'm going to play the way that I play, and, I, and I'm just going to get after it. And that was the turning point. The next day I came out, went after Todd, you know, shot the ball the, the, with confidence the way that, you know, that I shot it in, in, in elementary school, and, uh, and things just kind of fell into place. And I was fortunate enough to be the uh, rookie of the year that year. And then you went on to be a two-time PSAC East player of the year. Uh, 2,025 points. When you look at your time as a player at Westchester, what are the memories? If I asked you, what are your favorite memories of playing basketball at Westchester? What would be the first couple on the depth chart? The the first would be, uh, obviously, scoring 2,000 points. Um, At at this point in, in, in my career as a coach, when I look around and, and I'm seeing a lot of kids that come through college and score 1,000, score 1,500, 2,000 points is not easy to do. Uh, and a guy by the name of Jelani Ghana, who was assistant coach at Westchester at the time, we were walking off the court when I scored my 2,000 point. He goes, you don't know what you've just done. And at that point, I was like, eh, yeah, whatever. And now that I look back at it, it was it's a huge accomplishment. Um, my freshman year, there literally were 40 or 35 to 40 shots that I took where my foot was on the three-point line. If I was a little bit stronger, obviously I would have got those extra points and I would have surpassed Kevin Gibbons. And that would have been my number one uh, memory of Westchester. But 
winning the first ever uh, PSAC East title um, was a was a was a huge uh, accomplishment. Um, and then my freshman year, I hit a shot against Cheney um, at the buzzer to win the game. Uh, and a lot of people don't remember the year before I got there. That's when they had the brawl. And, you know, and they basically shut down the university, the state cops coming from everywhere. People were getting their jaws broken. Kid Todd Nepp that I, that I mentioned earlier had a, had a, uh, an imprint of a sneaker on his face when he went after the game. So I was hearing all these horror stories and I was scared to death in that game that something was going to happen. When coach called, uh, drew up the play, I came off, got the ball, shot it with confidence. As soon as it left my hand, I knew it was going in, goes through the hoop, horn sounds, we win. I take off up the stairs. <laughs> I was like, time to get out of here. But that's another, that's another memory I'll never forget. Do you remember the 2000th point? What was it? Layup, jumper, foul shot? Do you specifically remember that? Or is it just the conversation afterwards? I, I think it might have. I don't remember the shot. Um, I think it might have been a three. I remember... Sal, uh, I had just broke my hand, my finger, uh, a couple games before that um, in a little tussle that we had against Millersville. And I remember Sal Manasana. He was a coach at East Stroudsburg for a number of years and also the coach at Lehigh saying, back off. I think we had the game won and he told his kids to back off so I can get my 2,000 point at home. And I think I stepped up and hit it free, but, I, but I, I'm not certain of that. So you got a little taste of pro semi-pro basketball once your your days at Westchester. I think was it the Delaware Blue Bombers? Yeah, yeah. What was that experience like in in that league? And talk a little was was it the United States Basketball League? Yeah, it it was um, it was a very good league, a lot of talent, and uh, but it was it was in Delaware, and at and I think. The, the first couple of tryouts, you know, I was uncertain whether I was going to make the team or not. I, then, you know, I, I got the call that, that, I, that I made the team, so I was really excited about that. And then played a couple of games, and, and then I got a call from Coach Delaney, and he asked me if I was interested in coaching high school basketball. And I said, okay, well, how much is it? And during my time at Westchester, I was doing a lot of skill skill work with uh, Roy Blumenthal and a, and a company that he had at the time, which was called Name Your Game. Uh, and I started my own company, which was called Next Level Basketball. Um, a guy by the name of Ray Jenkins and, and Adam Sherman, and we, we put together this, uh, this program for local high school kids. So I was doing a lot of skill work and making money coaching during the summer. I was officiating in Downingtown. So, you know, I, I knew if I didn't play professional basketball that I was going to get in the coach. Uh, so um, when I got the call from Coach Delaney, the money at the time was more as a JV coach than it was playing with the Delaware Blue Bombers. So I jumped at the opportunity. So I didn't, I didn't finish uh, a full year with the Blue Bombers. Um, and I think it was one of the better decisions that I made in my life because it gave me the opportunity to make my own mistakes as a as a head coach. So I was a head JV coach. The team was not very good. I think we might have won three games um, the entire year out of out of probably 18 games. But I learned so much about the game of basketball. Um, and I tell a lot of new coaches that in order to be a great coach, you need to coach. 
You, you can't be sitting 12 inches away from the head coach and then be, you're a Monday morning quarterback and think that you have all the answers. You have to be in that space, make mistakes, take chances, and develop your own philosophies. And that experience with Great Valley uh, gave me that opportunity to really learn uh, what it meant to be a head coach. Before we go into more of your coaching, you mentioned it. I had seen somewhere you got a, a tryout with the Sixers or spent some time with the yes. Sixers when Maurice Cheeks. Yeah. Where does that fit in into the timeline? Is that before the the playing with, with that Delaware? Was, yeah, that was before the play with Delaware. Um, right after my uh, senior year, I had a lot of uh, pro teams that were calling because of the numbers that I was putting up. And, um, and my coach said, you just need to be ready. And, and when the season was over, I was thinking, okay, where they're at, we're going to go to these workouts and, and hopefully I'll get an opportunity to make one of these teams. And no one called, uh, there's no contact whatsoever. And so, you know, I got a little bit of despondent and, 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 um, and I was, uh, I don't want to say depressed, but I was upset at the fact that, you know, those opportunities weren't there for me. And so I just concentrated on finishing strong academically and, uh, and to be honest with you, I stopped working out. Uh, and during that time period, I was working out with a guy by the name of uh, Lee Woodall. Uh, and Lee wound up playing for the 49ers and winning the ring. And he kept telling me, stop partying, Dane. We got to work out. You got to be ready. And I was like, ah, whatever. And then I got the call to go work out. I had this workout, this trial for the Sixers. And I think that I could have been in better shape. And my timing could have definitely been better. Uh, and if so, I think I would have had a better uh, chance of uh, of going further in, in, in those tryouts and in those cuts. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Westchester University men's basketball coach Damian Blair right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, Westchester University men's basketball coach Damian Blair. A lot of times you see people that are elite athletes. It is a real tough transition to coaching because things that come easy to you as an athlete, it's hard to understand why can't player X do this because I've done it all the time and did you experience any of that early on the, to where players just couldn't do things that you thought were relatively easy? I definitely have that disease, and I still have it. I got to take medication to try to get rid of it. <laughs> early on, uh, my first year coaching, I was like, why can't he do that? That's ridiculous. You should be able to just cross over, go right by him and finish. And it, it, it took some time uh, for me to understand that everybody's not built that way. Um, and, you know, as you move up levels in coaching, it's a lot easier to tell a kid, look, just split that trap, go in and finish, split the trap, go in and jump stop and make that make the pass to the post player. You know, at the lower levels, you know, those those kids just don't have the skill set, um, nor um, the focus 
to be able to do those things on a consistent basis. Um, and so for me, I really struggled early on trying to get them um, to play the way I wanted them to play. And I had to dumb it down. I had to back off of them. And even with some of the kids that I'm coaching now, the expectation is really, really high to know where you're supposed to be defensively, to be able to hit a wide open jump shot, to be able to make a foul shot. And, um, and you know, the, the, it's, a, it's, a learning, it's a learning process for, for them and also for me. Um, but I feel like as I get older, I become more flexible. Um, and the more experiences that I have with dealing with kids that can't meet those expectations, I've done a much better job of trying to, to manage those kids and, and to get the best out of them. So you're coaching in high school. I think you coached it in addition to at Downingtown, right? Was that the last high school stop yeah. before you go to Westchester? Well, I, well, actually, I went. Yeah, yeah. I, we're, I was at Great Valley, then a year at um, uh, at Westchester East. And the year that I was at Westchester East, I actually was assistant coach for Eric Anderson and Matt Schaub. Um, that's a name that that you that, that you probably remember. He was the uh, was a varsity basketball player that year. And, and Dave Hardy was on that team, went to Colgate. That was a really good team. So I learned a lot from error. Then I went to Downingtown, was there for 10 years, school split. And then I got the call from Coach um, Delaney asking me if I would be interested in applying for the Westchester job. And what's going through your mind at that point? Because it's a college coaching job, but it is your alma mater as well. Was that something you thought? might be cool or was that not on your radar until you get that call? I always thought it would be cool to be the head coach at Westchester. Even when I was playing uh, for Coach Delaney, I was like, man, he's got the life. Comes in, goes to practice and, you know, gets to coach the games and he goes home, no stress, everything's good. Uh, a little bit I know, but um, so yeah, I did think it would have been cool uh, to be the head coach at Westchester. But once I was at Downingtown for 10 years, um, you know, at a, a great teaching position, at a great job in dish, uh, basketball job in District One. We were in the, you know, the top eight the last three or four years and made it to states. And, you know, I was happy. You know, I had tenure. You know, you know, I was comfortable. And when you know, I had the opportunity to apply and then was offered the job, I wasn't 100% that I was going to take it because the contract was only a two-year contract or. I think they extended it to three. Uh, it was a three-year contract. And if things didn't go well, I didn't raise money, I wasn't able to bring in kids, we couldn't win games, I would have been looking for a phys ed job. You know, so it, it was it wasn't an easy decision, to say the least. And is there extra pressure because it's your alma mater? I mean, in addition to all those things you brought up, I, I think there's a different feel when you're just going into a school to become a head coach that you had not previously had any connection to. Is there extra pressure because you're Damian Blair, second all-time leading scorer in Westchester history, and now you're the head coach? I think I've, I've put probably too much pressure on myself, um, you know, just because I, I want to succeed. Um, and, yeah, I do put pressure on myself because it is my alma mater, um, and I believe in – you know, the foundation that Coach Delaney and the coaches before him have built. And it's basically, you know, bring in good athletes that are going to graduate, be productive citizens, but also great basketball players. Um, and then it's my job to try to create a family atmosphere and that the kids get the most out of their experience. 
So that is a lot of pressure to be able to put all those pieces together. Um, and you, I do have some teammates that give me a call every now and then and say, look, dude, you got to get it together. You guys are struggling. You just lost two or three in a row. And we we got to win these games. So I get it from all, all angles, but, but I love it. it it's um, I, I wouldn't pick another profession just because, you know, you get, you get judged every night when you go out there and you tee it up. Uh, but at the same time, I get to teach uh, how to be, you know, great, basketball players also have to teach life skills through basketball um and then I'm, I'm in a great location at a great institution um you know and uh and and, and probably one in one of the better leagues in the country so it, it's a, it's a it's a great situation when you take over as a head coach you obviously know basketball but there's recruiting mention raising money what was the toughest adjustment to becoming a college head coach that you kind of had to get your arms around that maybe you didn't have to deal with at other place at other levels? Well, I got a laundry list of those things. Uh, the the first thing from from a coaching perspective, the games were so much shorter in high school. I remember our first game, and 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 I look up at the clock, and there's still like, you know, 14 minutes left in the half, and I'm going, "What is this game? This half going to be over?" You know, and, and, you know, we didn't have a shot clock. So, you know, just because you had a lead, didn't, didn't necessarily, a 20 point lead didn't necessarily mean you're going to win a game in high school. If I had a 12 or 14 point lead and good guards, there's no way you could beat me uh, in college. You had to continue to defend. You had to continue to execute. And, you know, as you got to maybe the four or five minute mark with the 12 or four, 14 point lead, then you could think about maybe taking some air out of the ball. So that was that was a, a big adjustment. Uh, the the raising money piece was a was a huge huge adjustment. Um, people don't know this, but we have to raise all of our own funds in order to give scholarship. Uh, so, you know, when I when I first got there, you know, coach was basically uh, in a situation where he's been doing it for so many years that he was just beat up. And he was tired of raising money. And every time you talk to him, he's like, oh, I just can't do this anymore. And now I understand what, he, what, he's, what he's going through. And at the time, I didn't. Because you got to be able to get a certain number every year to make sure that you can get certain players to be able to win in one of the toughest leagues in the country. And it's not easy to do. Um, so whether it be asking alums for donations, whether it's you know running different types of tournaments, um, my first year, we put, a, put together a bowling fundraiser. I mean, that takes up more of my time than the actual coaching does. I probably spend close to 60% of my time trying to figure out ways to be able to create funds to be able to give out scholarship. Uh, whereas some of my counterparts don't have to worry about that. They have development guys that are raising money for them, and you know, all they have to do is spend the money. Um, so that is probably one of the most difficult things that I have to do in my position uh, and it's probably one of the biggest adjustments uh, as well. How about recruiting? I mean, you spent that long at high-level high school basketball, so you knew how, you know, the sausage was made, but you knew it from the, you know, getting the kids the opportunity at the colleges. Where did you kind of start when you when it's your college basketball program and now you're going out trying to find the kids to, to bring in? That's funny um, because my assistant, Dane Watts, he was the coach at Immaculata, um, before he decided to come with me my first year. And, and I made him, 
I put him in charge of our recruiting and he was our recruiting coordinator. And I said, look, we got to get some kids that can, that can really go. Um, some, we need some athletic kids, some tough kids, some kids that can score the ball. So his first couple times that he went out, look at kids and, and he brought me to evaluate them. I turned to look at him and I go, do you know what a good player looks like? And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, but I'm going after the kids that we can get. And I'm going, no. So he showed me a couple kids that he thought were good players, DJ Urban and a couple other kids. And I was like, wow, these kids can play. He goes, D, you can't get these kids. They're division one. Let me worry about that. And, you know, I had a lot of recruiting service guys. When, when we asked them for their list, they would say, this kid's division one. You can't get him. And I would say, okay. And I didn't let that deter me, you know. We looked at the best kids, and if a kid only had one offer, it reminded me of my situation. This kid might fall through the cracks. So if we can create, you know, an environment that that if he can't, if he doesn't go Division One, it'll come to us. Then that's what we did, and and we can we're continuing to do that. And there's a lot of kids that have had Division One offers and have still chosen Westchester because it's a great location. The academic piece is is second to none, um, you know, and. You know, basketball-wise, you know, we've been really successful and it's one of the better leagues in the country. Um, and a lot of the kids know that if they go to Westchester and ex- and, and play an exhibition game against some of the low Division One schools, we will beat them. So um, that's a, a, another added bonus for, for, want, for them wanting to come to Westchester. So recruiting, we always look at the best and look at what schools are, are, are possibly missing out on a kid. Uh, and if there's a kid, like I said, only get, there's only getting one or two looks, that's a kid that, that we're going after. Uh, and then we've also been really fortunate. We brought some kids uh, in that have walked on and, you know, have worked their tails off and, and have been productive, you know, in the classroom and on the floor and have helped us win a lot of games. So it, it's, a, it's a wide spectrum of the type of kid that look at, but we don't pigeonhole ourselves and say, no, He's probably a high division three player or a mid division two player. So these are the only kids that we're going to look at. How would you describe your coaching style? If you're trying to recruit me to come play for you, what are you looking for in a player? And what are you trying? What kind of style do you want the kids to know that you're going to play? The style that we've been playing recently has been, you know, we want to get up and down the floor and take the first available shot offensively. Um, we, we talk a lot about creating uh, shots for your teammates. Don't create a shot for yourself. Um, defensively, uh, we try to do things that other teams are not doing. So what I mean by that, uh, most of the teams in our league play man. A few of them play zone. Uh, so if, if we play zone and everyone else is playing man, that automatically gives us an advantage. So we're going to switch defenses and try to keep teams off balance as much as possible. And with the shot clock, we want to try to slow teams down. And by switching defenses, we want to try to separate the, uh, the coach from the player. And I think once you do that, then you've created another layer of advantages uh, for yourself. Um, so the kids that we're looking for are smart kids, kids that are tough, kids that can shoot the ball, and, uh, and kids that are athletic. Um, the one thing that we don't get a lot of at our level are the, are the, the bigger um, 6'9", 6'10", post players that are just 
you know, massive in the paint and can finish whenever they catch the ball. So the 6'6", 6'7", kid or 6'5", kid that's tough, more athletic uh, than probably that 6'10", kid can put the ball on the floor, can defend, defend multiple positions are the kids that often uh, we have the opportunity to, uh, to convince to come into the Westchester or to the Division II level. Um, so those are the type of kids that we're looking for. And if you fit that bill, you got a great chance of, of possibly getting some uh, scholarship money to play at our level. How have you changed as a coach from the early days at the high school level to now? What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as to keys to being a success, successful head coach? Uh, early on, I was totally out of control. <laughs> I mean, I, I literally tried to, I tried to coach every possession and I tried to officiate every call. And if there's something that I, that I, that I've talked to other officials about Mark Lindsay, who's now an NBA referee, went to Westchester and Ed Rush and Joey Crawford, and those guys, it's, you got to pick your spots um, from the, from being able to have conversations with, with, with officials. And I think I've gotten better in that area. Uh, if there's any officials that were, uh, were on this podcast or on this call would say that is a, a lie, <laughs> but that's definitely an area that, that I, I'm looking to improve upon every year. Um, and, and, and I think I've, I've, I've been a little bit more flexible with our student athletes, you know, uh, early on, I was just so demanding and expected so much from, uh, from our players. And, and I think sometimes, you know, kids have a tendency to get burnt out when, when you place that much pressure on them. And, and I, and I, I've more focused on trying to create an, an experience um, that they'll enjoy and never forget. Um, now it's really tough to do and it's really tough to balance that because, you know, we got to win games. Uh, and kids need to do what they're supposed to in the classroom. And um, and a lot of times when we get kids, they're they're not the finished product that we would like them to be. Um, and we have a lot of conversations about being professional and and doing things the right way. Um, so we have to discipline guys and 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 um, and us. And in some cases, uh, we have to let guys go if they if they don't meet or conform to to, to the standard of, of being a Westchester men's basketball player. What is your favorite part of what you do? And I don't necessarily mean just within the game time, the two hours when you're you're playing. When you look at the entire kind of mosaic of what goes into being a college basketball head coach, what's your favorite part? The, I, I guess I got a lot of things that I really enjoy. I definitely enjoy the um, the preparation of, um, you know, putting a game plan together and then watching it unfold exactly how you planned it to. Um, and when we have conversations with our kids. We talk about this is going to happen. And then when they do this, we're going to do that. And, you know, that is definitely uh, something that, that I enjoy. But I also enjoy, you know, spending time with our alums and, and having them uh, interact with our student athletes, but probably most of all um, is watching kids graduate and then being successful and then coming back and saying, coach, I learned 
this, this, and this, and I'm a better person because you taught us how to do things the right way, not just from a basketball uh, landscape, but, but from, you know, a, um, a humanity, uh, uh, you know, uh, or professional uh, um, uh, perspective. So those are those things are, are, are really important to us. And, and we started a mentoring program probably about four or five years ago because it, that piece is so important to me. Uh, and basically what we do is we have each kid will get two mentors. One is an alum that is within their major. And then another is just a businessman uh, or a woman in the, uh, in the community. Some are CEOs, you know, doctors and, and, and uh, entrepreneurs. And so as freshmen, they'll have two, uh, you know, mentors and then sophomore two, junior two and senior down two. And at, at, by the time that they're ready to graduate, they'll have eight mentors that they can call on uh, for advice and, 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 and hopefully they can you know, get some, some job opportunities throughout, uh, you know, their interaction with these individuals. But we've already had probably seven or eight individuals that have gotten jobs before they even graduated because of the program. And I think that in and of itself is, uh, is, is, is enough to, to make me want to continue to do what I do every day. Now, you've had a ton of success at Westchester, obviously, as a player, and in your dozen years as head coach, two wins for every loss, which is really something. Uh, 2018, you guys go to the NCAA tournament. You've gone several times, but the one thing you guys hadn't gotten over the hump to win a game, uh, but you did in 2018. What was that? What's that like to do something for the first time in the history of a program? How exciting was that moment? It's, it's funny you say that because for me as a professional and in my career, I always want to do something that no one has ever done before. That's what motivates me. Um, so to be able to win that game uh, meant a, a lot. And not only just as a, as a coach, but I was striving to try to win that game as a player and could never get over that hump. Um, so that has stuck with me through my playing years. It has stuck with me as an alum who was watching from afar, supporting the program, and it's and, and it sticks with me as, as as now the head coach of of my alma mater. So, getting over that hump meant a lot, and uh, I, that's a game that I'll never forget because uh, Tim Toro, uh, our post player this year, six uh, nine. I mean, extremely athletic to be as big as he is. He had the game of his life, and if he wouldn't have played at that level, we probably wouldn't have won that game. Um, and then the next night we played East Stroudsburg and we had start, we get, we started off really, really well. And I thought we were going to win that game. And that would have been unbelievable if we could have beat them and then gotten to the, uh, the regional final. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was a great experience. And, it, and it's definitely something that, that I often think about and, and try to, uh, put things in place to try to get back there and then take the next step and, and get to that regional championship game. But people don't appreciate how hard it is just to get there, let alone win a game. I mean, I think fans, a lot people that haven't gone through the grind, they really can't appreciate what it's like to get to that level. Can they? Absolutely not. Absolutely. As, as a fan, your expectation is your team should win every single time they step out into the floor. And there are just too many other factors that are involved to, to get to that, that, that spot. You know, like 
guys are getting hurt. Like this past year, when we when we struggled uh, with like six or seven games, we had every single person on our team was sick. I mean, every single person went through the flu, pneumonia. I mean, you name it, we went through it. And people don't take those things in, into consideration. And it's it's not easy winning basketball games. Um, and I I tell a lot of young coaches and assistants that want to be head coaches and a coach with me that your job is to get your players to do what you want them to do every single time out on the floor. And if you can do that, you're going to win a lot of games. And if you're going to win a lot of games, that means every year you're probably going to be in the top three in your league. And if you're in the top three in your league, you're going to give yourself an opportunity to play in big games and to play for championships. So I pride myself and our program off of being in the top one or two every year so that kids have an opportunity to win a big game. A few championship games and were unfortunate, missed some shots, didn't play well. Um, My job is to get them to that game, give them a game plan that puts them in a position that they can win. Um, And then at that point, it's on them to get it done. And, um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's fun watching kids go through that journey, the start of the season to the end of the season, and then hopefully your season ends in tears, whether it's sorrow because you lost in the championship or tears of joy because you won. So that will do it for this episode of One on One. want to thank Westchester University men's basketball coach Damian Blair for being our guest this week. If you like the podcast, want to help us out, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. You can follow One on One on Twitter, at One on One Pod, and you can follow me on Twitter as well, at MattLeon1060. My name is Matt Leon. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.